0: Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Amen. Thank you, team, for leading us in that time. All right. Well, last week, if you were uh, in a small group, uh, you had a chance to uh, watch a video that I created, Cheesy at Best, uh, for uh, small groups to watch that just kind of talked about the uh, upcoming GIC, which, by the way, is this next weekend, this next week and weekend uh, will be our GIC celebration and uh, our global impact celebration. And I will say that I appreciate Pastor Tony more than he knows as far as when he does his little live video updates on uh, on Wednesday and Thursday, it is really hard to, like, create a video to post. I'm just going to be honest with you. It took me, like, 50 takes, and even at that, it was still cheesy. So I really appreciate uh, Pastor Tony and what he does. And so uh, the reality of that video, I talked just a little bit about my experience at my first Global Impact Celebration and how when I attended that, it really seemed to change the trajectory of my life and and especially of my ministry. And and as this week, though, as I was thinking about uh, this talk In the times in my own life when I felt like I struggled finding passion for God, I actually thought of a situation that took place about six months to a year before that experience, before that GIC experience, which probably... Is what brought opened my heart and my eyes to be receptive of what God was doing uh, during that Global Impact Celebration. In that time, in 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 my life and Tammy's life, I think we both kind of had just kind of come to a point in where we just felt stagnant in our walk with God Uh, individually, as well as as with a couple. We both were attending church. Uh, If I recall, we were we were serving in youth. But for whatever reason, and I can't remember all the the circumstances around it, it was 20 plus years ago, but we just kind of felt blah in our walk with God. Have you ever just felt blah? Am I the only one that's felt blah, Dave? Dave? All right, you feel blah sometimes too. I just kind of felt blah in my relationship with God and, and just kind of where we were. And and at some point along the way, we'd actually come to the conclusion that we were going to leave Southgate, that we were going to start looking for another church because we thought that was the answer because that would reignite uh, our fuel and our passion. So we were just going to look at finding a different church. And so we had kind of begun the process of kind of uh, uh, pulling away from some of our responsibilities in ministry because what you do is you don't just just quit completely because. This people recognize you're not there, right? And so you just slowly just kind of take less responsibility here, less responsibility there. And then all of a sudden, three or four weeks goes by and people go, have you guys seen the docs lately? And you're like, oh, and then by then you've made that full transition and they can't get you back. So so, so we'd kind of slowly kind of started that transition uh, out of ministry, right? Well, one Sunday morning, We decided that, you know what, we're going to go back to Southgate. We're going to give him one more college, you know, one more college try. We're going to go back to Southgate. Maybe Maybe we're just overthinking this. Maybe something's not right with us. And I'll never forget that morning because we show up that morning and there was a guest speaker. His name was David Ring. I'll never forget this guy. You've probably never heard of him. His name was David Ring. This guy was born with cerebral palsy. I don't remember how long he said he went at birth without oxygen, but I know it was long enough that the doctors told his parents that he should have never lived, he never should have lived. Uh, All throughout his life, he had incredible struggles because of the cerebral palsy. Not only did he have struggles, but he also had more tragedies. At a very young age, both of his parents died, so most of his childhood he spent in orphanages or in foster care. But I will never, ever forget how passionate this dude was for God. I mean, I could not believe how passionate he was talking about how good God was and everything that God had done in his life and how he was so glad that God created him the way he created him. And I'm just sitting there going, of all the people, of all the people that had everything that they could have been upset with and mad at God for, this guy was dealt a horrible hand. But yet he was so passionate about God. I mean, it just exuded from him. And I'll never forget what he said at the end of his talk, which resonated so deep in my heart and probably really kind of reignited the passion that I have for God. And he said this. Now, he's, I'm paraphrasing this because, again, like I said, it was 20-some years ago. He was talking in regards to living for God and serving God, serving God specifically in the church and, 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 and in the community and things like that. And he, he said something very simple but powerful. He said this. He says, I have CP, what's your problem? I have CP, what's your problem? In other words, listen, this is what I deal with every single day. And I serve God, I praise God for everything he is. What's your problem? What's your problem? How come you don't have passion for God? And, and, and I'll never forget that. And, and the reality of it is this. All of us have our stuff in life, right? I mean, I have stuff in life, you have stuff in life. All of us are gonna have stuff in life. But do we allow that stuff do we allow those circumstances to control our passion for God, to have an effect on our passion for God? One day, a very religious man walks up to Jesus, and he says, Teacher, what is the most important commandment that there is? In other words, what's the most important thing right here in this Bible? What's the most important thing in Scripture? You probably can probably quote it with me. You know what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. In other words, I want you to love God passionately. I want you to be very passionate about your love for God. I don't want any half-hearted relationships here. I want every single bit of you. The word heart here, translated in Greek, means passion. means passion, meaning that I want you to put some emotion into loving me. I, I want you to show some enthusiasm in loving me. All throughout the Bible, we see this truth. All throughout the Bible. The Bible tells us that we are to seek God passionately, that we are to love God passionately, that we are to serve God passionately, that we are to obey God passionately, that we are to trust God passionately. First, or I'm sorry, Colossians 3.23 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with what? With all your what? Your heart, your passion, your passion as working for the Lord, not man, not human masters. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58 says, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work what? Enthusiastically, passionately for the Lord. For you know what you do For the Lord is never useless, right? Listen, it's not easy. It is not easy. It is a choice and it is a discipline. We are not naturally passionate about the things of God. It is something that we have to choose to do. It's something that we have to choose to do. And if you're like me, I get distracted. I get distracted so easy. The things of this, of this world, the, the, they just seem to conspire against me. Everything that wants to keep me from being passionate about my God. Everything just conspires against me, and I get distracted. So this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to show you a person in the Old Testament. I know you're very, very familiar with this person, the person of David. See, David was a young shepherd who became a king. And there was a time in David's life when he was absolutely filled with passion for God. Absolutely blown away by God and what he was doing in his life. But as a king, somewhere along the way, he lost it. He lost it. You're probably familiar with the story. The Philistine army was at war with the Israelite army. In those times the, of, of war, the armies would, would often pick a representative warrior to, to represent them and to go to battle, and the, and, the, and the war would be declared a winner by whoever won that battle between those two guys. So there was a, the Philistine army, they had this giant of a person, his name was Goliath, right, and, 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 and 40 days straight, twice a day he would come out and he would taunt and he would tease the Israelite army because he just knew there was nobody, the, Philist, the Philistine army knew that there was nobody that would match up with him. There was no one physically that can match up with him. There was no one in stature that can match up with him. So he would come out twice a day and taunt them. Well, one day, David, 17 years old, by the way, at this time, 17 years old, a shepherd boy, he was taking food to his brothers because he was not big enough or strong enough in the eyes of others to be in battle. And so so he was taking food to his brothers who were on the battlefield, and they were witnessing all of this, right? He's taking food to them, and he hears Goliath teasing and mocking the Israelites and defying the Israelite army. And scripture says that David goes before King Saul, this infuriated David, he goes before King Saul and he convinces him that he will not only fight the giant, but he's going to kill the giant. And I want you to hear the words of David and the passion that he had as he approached Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. says, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The God, of the, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. In other words, listen, come at me. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut off your head. Then my army, we're going to attack your army. We're going to absolutely destroy you. And we're going to watch as the wild animals and the birds feed on your carcasses. Boom, drop the mic. It's over, right? I mean, you talk about passion. That, That was not a human confidence right there, was it? That was not human confidence right there. That was pure, raw passion, passion for God. Absolute passion for God. So where did that kind of passion come from? Where did David get that kind of passion? I believe it was because he had a daily walk with God. David had a daily walk with God. David learned to trust God daily. David learned to worship God daily. He learned to rely on God daily. He could could trust God to fight a giant. Why? Because when he was a shepherd, he trusted God to take care of the sheep when a lion and a bear tried to attack, and the Lord gave him strength to to kill them, so why wouldn't he trust him to to, uh, attack a giant, right? Why wouldn't he trust him to be able to kill the giant? David worshiped daily. We go through the 23rd Psalm just reading that. You see how David worshiped and the intimate relationship that he had for his God. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He gives me everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes me. My God refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk the darkest valley, even though there are circumstances all around me I cannot control, even though there are circumstances all around me that just have me baffled and I just don't understand how I'm going to get through them, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil because you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. He knew God as a comforter. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David walked with God daily. That's why he understood who God was. That's what drove his passion for God. That's why he could trust God. That's why he worshiped God. That's why he could rely on God for every single thing. It wasn't a once a week experience clicking on a computer screen watching a sermon. It wasn't even driving across town once a week sitting in a building and singing a couple of songs. It wasn't adding a small group experience in the middle of the week. Those things are good, but that's just twice a week. This was a daily walk with God. This was a daily walk with God. A daily abiding in, remaining in the presence of God of God. That's what drove his passion. That's what drove his passion. But like many of us, many of us, there was another season to David's life. If you move forward several years to a time when David was king, and he'd been king for a while, he was around 51ish, 55 somewhere in there years old, there's another story of David. First Samuel 11:1, we read this. In the spring, at a time when kings go off to war. And they went off to war because the spring was the dry season. Winter was the rainy season, and so that's actually when they would plant their crops, but spring was dry, so it was easier for, for troops to march. It was easier to take uh, uh, um, chariots and supply wagons and things like that in the spring, so that's the time when they decided, I guess, to go to war, is when they could get their troops and keep them out of mud, right? So in the spring, when, time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men, and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Amorites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. David remained in Jerusalem. So a time when David should have been doing the things that kings do, going to war, when David should have been doing what the Lord God called him to do, going to war with the Israelite army, he decided to stay at home. He decided to stay at home, and one night, while he was staying at home, he goes up to the rooftop, and he looks over, and he sees a young lady, and she's taking a bath. He kind of likes this, and so he sends his servants to find out who that is. He finds out she's married. Doesn't seem to bother him. He asks for the servants to bring her to him. Long story short, they have an affair. She becomes pregnant. He's feared that her husband's going to find out. So he calls his commander. He says, hey, put her husband on the front line. When you guys get ready to go into battle, you guys pull back. That way he'll be killed, and then no one will ever have to know what happened. And that's exactly what the commander did. So when David wasn't where he was supposed to be, he saw something he probably shouldn't have been seeing. He did something, obviously, that he should not have done, and it caused a lot of pain, and it caused a lot of suffering, not only for himself, but for so many other people involved. So how does a shepherd boy with so much passion, with so much passion and so much zeal for God, a kid who stood up before a giant with incredible God-given confidence end up later as a king struggling to find it, struggling to have passion for God? The answer is this. He took his eyes off God. He took his eyes off God. And a lot of times we're like that, aren't we? I mean, when we first become a believer, we're excited about what God is doing in our life. We're excited about this concept that he's forgiven our sins, whether we really truly understand it or not, but we just know something's different in our life, right? And for the first time in our life, we realize that we actually have purpose for living, that God loves us and, and created us for a reason, for a purpose, and we're finding that purpose. And we understand that we have, have a future in heaven and eternity, and, and we start off so passionate about God. But then as time goes on, life, circumstances, whatever the case is, they begin to happen because it doesn't stop just because you become a believer. And we begin to kind of lose some steam along the way. And we begin to kind of lose some zeal. And we lose some enthusiasm. And we lose passion for the things of God. So what happens? Well, I want to give you three things that I think are passion killers They're not by any means all-encompassing, but there are three things that I think we see in the story of David that I think are passion killers in our life. Because remember, reality is this. We're all going to have spiritual ups and downs. We're all going to have that. It's a matter of what we do in the midst of it. So passion killer number one, comfort and complacency question I ask for you. And I'll have kind of some questions as we go through this. Are you filled with passion for God or have you drifted into spiritual complacency? Just an honest question to ask yourself. Just an honest question to ask yourself. Are you filled with passion for God or have you drifted into some spiritual complacency? See, I believe David had drifted over time and he became complacent with his walk with God. At one point, he's ready to charge into battle. He's ready to do do battle, spiritual battle. He had no doubt who God was. He knew that God wouldn't forsake him. He he knew that God wasn't going to leave him. He understood his divine calling as a king. He knew what God wanted in his life and wanted for him. But over time, he drifted. He drifted. Which David do you relate to right now? Which David do you relate to? Are Are you ready to walk into battle with God? living for him daily? Are you trusting him with your family? Are you trusting him with with your jobs? Are you trusting him with your school? If you're in school, are you trusting him with your relationships? Are you trusting God with your current situations, your circumstances that you're in? Or have you drifted? Here's what I fear currently. And Tony touched on this a little bit last week, so I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here. But I believe right now, in a current season that we're at, in the church, there are some who have dug in and they continue to walk God, with God daily. They're feeding themselves daily, they're trusting in God daily, their passion and enthusiasm for God is as real as it's ever been. As real as it's ever been. But my fear, just knowing people and just knowing what we're naturally prone to do, and, and understanding that people naturally drift. The fact is that we don't naturally drift towards discipline. We don't naturally drift towards making good decisions. Why? Because of human nature, right? We drift towards comfort, and we drift towards complacency. And unfortunately, when people sometimes disengage with public worship, with corporate worship, we naturally begin to disengage in other areas of our spiritual life. It's a proven fact. When we disengage with corporate worship, When this no longer becomes important, what happens is before we know it, we begin to disengage in other disciplines in our life. We disengage. Bad habits set in. And good disciplines in our life begin to go away. And instead of being filled with the presence of God and passion for God, what happens is we find ourselves filled with things like fear and discouragement and doubt and confusion and all of those things, they pull us away. They pull us away from our understanding of knowing the power of God in our lives. And what happens, if anything, if anything, is we kind of get into this, 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 uh, this monotony of just checking it off the list. Check. I clicked on the computer screen today. Check. I opened up my U version. I kept my streak alive at twenty six days. Check. I said my nighttime prayer. Check. I said my my dinner prayer, and we just kind of check, 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 and that's what happens. And we just kind of get in this. We just disengage, and we just kind of go through the motions. Look what First Timothy says. I love what First Timothy says in four seven through eight. If I can find it, there we go. It says, but you have nothing but have nothing to do with irreverent folklore and silly myths. On the other hand, discipline yourself. See, Timothy understands it's not natural. He says, on the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, keeping yourself spiritually fit. For physical training is of some value, But godliness, spiritual value, spiritual training is of value in everything in every way since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. In other words, listen, I can train my body and and yeah, yeah, let's do that. Let's be physically fit. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's for today and only for now. But godliness, spiritual training, that's not just good for now, but for what's to come. We have to be disciplined. I love how the message says it. The message takes a little excerpt, then he says, "Exercise daily in God. no spiritual flabbiness, please. God's word being polite, right? He's no spiritual flabbiness, please, right? It holds promise. It holds promise for the present life today and for life to come. It creates passion. When we have discipline in our life, when we train ourselves spiritually in godliness, it creates passion. It creates passion. So are we living comfortably? Have we become comfortably? Have we become complacent in our walk with God? Or are we passionate? Are we passionate? The second passion killer I think we see is this, is self. 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 David had taken his eyes off the things of God and began to focus on his own desires and not what God desired for him, right? I mean, he was focused on himself, his needs, his wants, his comforts. Obviously, he stayed home for whatever reason. Maybe he just was tired. Maybe he wanted to, to, to relax a little bit. He didn't want to deal with the responsibilities of being king at the time. I don't know, but he started thinking about himself instead of what God had called him to do, Instead of what God had given him the responsibility to do. And when he did, what happened? He got caught in sin. He got caught up in sin. And that's exactly what happens sometimes when we take our focus off of God and we put it on ourselves. We get caught in sin. And the problem with that is that it kind of starts this vicious cycle if we're not careful. All right? See, we sin, whatever that might be, we feel guilty. So, we try to cover it up. We try to ignore it like it didn't happen. Typically, that leads to more lies, which leads to more sin. And then we feel embarrassed about it. And we feel like we've let everyone down. And we feel like we've let God down. And how can God love me? Because I continue to, to sin. And then we get further and further and further away from God. David, he sinned with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. David was scared that the people would find out, especially her husband. So, he lied continue to 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 lead this uh, this life of uh, of sin. He had him killed. He involved other people to do his dirty work, right? Lots of people were hurt, lots of things that were lost that didn't need to be lost. All because of what? Because David took his eyes off God and put it on himself. Now listen, I understand that not everyone that takes their eyes off God is going to have an affair and commit murder. I get that, all right? But but Here's our takeaway. In a lot of situations, when we do that, it makes us more susceptible to sin, in which, in turn, kills our passion for God. When we take our eyes off God and we put it on self, we become more susceptible to sin in our lives because we're not disciplined, we're not paying attention, we become comfortable, and when we do, we risk destroying and killing our passion for God. So here's your question. Is there sin in your life? Is there unconfessed sin in your life? Again, honest question for yourself to think about. If so, good news. First John nine, there's a remedy. It says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. See, the beauty of God's love, it's restoration. It's restoration, and it's immediate. It's not like God says, you know what, John? <sighs> yeah, I'm going to think about this one. You know, that's a big one, John. Um, you know, and you've kind of approached me about this same sin, what is this, 50 times, 60 times? You know, I'm going to have to think about this one. I'll get back with you next week. You just stay in touch. No, in fact, you don't contact me. I'll contact you, all right? No, God doesn't do that. It's immediate. It is immediate. He is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And as we continue to live for God and not ourselves, our passion for God continues to be ignited. The third passion killer is this, Nathanless. You think, well, who's Nathan? Who's this Nathan guy? Well, if you read a little bit further in the story of David and Bathsheba, we read about the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan comes and he he approaches David about his sin. He confronts David about his sin, and after he confronts David, he realizes that uh, David realizes that he has sinned against God, and, and and he calls out to God in in a very very powerful yeah, powerful way. And so I want you to listen to how David he in in Psalm fifty one. 10 through 12 is just a couple of verses, but Psalm 51 is his cry out to God after Nathan confronts him. And he says this, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but what? Restore to me the joy of of my salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In other words, God, would you, would you just restore in me the passion I once had? Remember, remember when I was 17 and I had that passion? I, I went against Goliath. God, would you restore that joy and that passion in me in my life, the joy of your salvation? So your question here is this, do you have a Nathan in your life? Do you have Nathans in your life? I have tried over the years to make sure I surround myself with Nathans. I've got a couple of of friends that I talk to on a very regular basis that know me and they know when things aren't right in my life. And guess what they do? They have the ability to confront me and I give him that right to confront me. I have a small group of Nathans that we meet on Wednesday evenings, right? And they are Nathans in my life. I am so blessed to have a wife that is such a truth teller in my life. And I don't say that jokingly at all, not with any sarcasm, no tongue in cheek. I am so thankful that I have a wife that has the ability to speak truth in my life. And I value that. Do you have that? Do you have people in your life that will champion God in your life, that will champion your relationship. I'm not talking, I'm talking about friends. Everybody can have friends, but I'm talking about people, Nathans in your life, who will hold you accountable to your relationship with God, who will help restore with you the passion that you had for God when you start to drift in life. Because the reality is, in a perfect world, I would love to say we never lose our zeal. We never lose our passion for God. But we do. We do. I do. You do. But it's in those times. Are we like David? Are we like David? Are we willing to cry out and ask God, God, would you restore in me, restore me the joy of your salvation that I once had? Have you lost it? Not talking about your salvation. That's can't lose that. I'm talking about your passion. Have you lost it? Which David do you relate to today? Have you become complacent, lacking discipline? Have you begin to think more and rely more on yourself, which is again, maybe you're not living in sin, but but makes it more susceptible. Are you willing to cry out? If you're struggling with passion today, if you're struggling with passion today, let's take a moment and let's cry out to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for the truth of your word. And Father, there are so many things around us that have the ability to rob us of our passion if we allow it. Father God, we can think of circumstance after circumstance after circumstance. Father God, today, would you allow us just to see you for who you are in our life? Father God, would you restore in us the joy of our salvation? Allow us, Father God, to think back and remember the times that we were just so passionate for you, so passionate for your love for us. And God, would you restore that in us? Father God, would you allow us to to be mindful of of where we're at in life? Father God, if we need to work on some things and we need to, to make a conscious choice to be more disciplined so that we can live with you daily, Father God, would you just put that burning desire in our heart? Father, if there's sin in our life, would we be willing at this moment right here, right now, just to confess that to you where we sit, knowing, God, that you are faithful and that you are just and that you will forgive us our sins and and purify us, Father God, immediately right here, right now. Father God, thank you that we can even cry out to you and that you give us that ability. It's in your holy and your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.